Welcome back to Problem Solver Politics. I am your host, Cardin Ellis, with Cody the Oracle. Hey, everybody. And I'm sure you've seen on Twitter now that Bernie Sanders has indeed dove off the deep end and endorsed one Joe Biden. It is official now. And um, it begs a lot of questions. Did Bernie sell out? Uh, is this the moment that a lot of these progressives that say they aren't going to follow him splinter off and form their own party? Or is this the moment that the Democrat establishment uh, whips them into shape and tells all those young bucks that were leading their revolution to get in line and follow behind all the boomers in the DNC? Uh, we really don't know what's going on, but we are going to speculate. Cody, tell us what's going on. Uh, all right, cool. So, yeah. So, anyway, as you mentioned, it is official. Joe Biden has officially been endorsed by Bernie Sanders. He actually did it on a live stream together at the same time. Wow. Bernie Sanders implored his supporters to vote for Joe Biden because it's very important that he wins in November. Now, uh, just personally, I have to admit, I don't, I'm not surprised. I get it. Yeah, like if you're, if you're going to say you're a Democrat, he says he's independent, but he's been allied with Democrats for a while now. If you're a Democratic politician and you want to have a future in politics, it's probably wise to endorse Joe Biden. I get it. Whether he wins or not, it's just you might want to play ball when they ask you to. So I'm not too concerned about it. However, I also don't identify as a progressive at any level. Uh, I'm not super, uh, what's the word, opposed. It's just I don't really consider myself to be progressive. So I, well, I'm not too upset with it. I wonder how the larger progressive voting base does. And the reason why I bring that up is, um, one, because I have eyes and ears and I can hear what they say. And it's not something that's very popular with the progressives voting for Joe Biden. But this was really interesting. Yesterday we saw... Uh, multiple groups come out on Twitter. Uh, a lot of smaller X for Bernie, like students for Bernie groups saying they would not endorse Joe Biden. Uh, but we saw the Democratic Socialists of America announce they're not going to endorse yeah. Joe Biden. But this article is a little interesting to me. This article is from the Daily Pennsylvania, and it said, titled, instead of endorsing Biden, Penn for Bernie will form a new on-campus progressive coalition. Now, it starts off pretty harmless. It says that although Bernie Sanders ended his campaign earlier this week, Penn for Bernie says it is gaining members as it restructures its original mission and creates new space for the progressive movement on campus. Although many other groups members have decided they will vote for former President Joe Biden, which by the way, I do believe there is a ton of people who consider themselves progressives who will probably vote for Joe Biden. Can't speak for all of them, but there has to be some number. Yeah. But they do mention that a pen for Bernie will not endorse him for president. Instead, the group will focus on relabeling and welcoming new members. This quote really struck me, though. And this quote is this. It, says, it was never about Bernie. It was about the movement he represented and the ideas he fought for. It took a few days to grieve, but our group is back at it. Pen for Bernie outreach director and college junior Emily Liu said, we're preparing and are ready to continue the fight. And I wonder for that. That's kind of the question I'm wondering here. That doesn't ring that true split. to me that it was well, never no. about Bernie. Bernie brought so many no, young people if he was into the, face the progressive of the pro movement. No, but I'm saying if, if for progressive voters, what they're saying is I'm voting for progressive policies and ideals and right now that would be bernie sanders but give me someone else so i'll vote for them if that is what and i do that makes sense to me i've seen a lot of people okay. who basically say that like look it's not bernie sanders is god it's just he's the only person running on these ideas that actually has some chance and is getting somewhere i mean we saw a lot of people endorse elizabeth warren for similar ish reasons you can yeah, argue okay. about the bona fides of elizabeth warren as being a progressive but, but larger fair. to that point is, I wonder what the, what is the divide? Is the, are the majority of former Bernie Sanders supporting progressives the types that will just bite the bullet and vote for Joe Biden? Or are the majority of the, it was never about Bernie mind? Because again, I just want to show you this happened yesterday. We saw a bunch of people take to Twitter yesterday, and I'm going to highlight a few of them in particular. We can see the Democratic Socialists announcing they would not be endorsing Joe Biden, which uh, I... Shocker, Democratic Socialists of America and endorsing Joe Biden. Yeah. Uh, but it was almost 97,000 likes. And then we also saw that the U.S. youth climate strike, another 
uh, organization led by, led by mostly young people and announced that they would not be endorsing Joe Biden, and that one has 79,000 likes. Bigger thing I want to show wow. is kind of bigger than how big the accounts saying it are, the fact that a lot of people are supporting this idea. And I wonder, is are these the Twitter progressives that made it so Bernie Sanders had no chance of winning because they, they kind of oversized his actual, it made it seem like there was a larger group supporting him than there actually was because of their outsized influence on social media? Perhaps. I don't know, but I just wanted to highlight that we saw a bunch of this stuff come out yesterday. A bunch of people come out yesterday, get their free clout by saying we are not endorsing Joe Biden, just to have Bernie Sanders endorse him today. Now, a lot of people are going to say, okay, I'm done with my temper tantrum. It's time to vote for Joe Biden and try to win this thing. Or are they really going to say, no, I'm a progressive voter, not a Democrat voter. I'm not going to vote for the Democratic nominee. If he was a progressive, I'd vote for him, but he isn't, so yeah. I won't. I wonder what that number is going to be. You know, that's a really good question, and... There's times where I would want to say that it's 60-40. There's times where I would get, <laughs> I'd want to say it's 90-10. I don't know. In fact, uh, we'd really appreciate in the comments. Uh, we know a lot of the Yang gang was uh, our ex-Bernie people. A lot of people got disillusioned with Bernie and um, left behind uh, to become Yang gang. Other people have kind of just gone back to Bernie once uh, Yang got out of the race. I'm really curious what what the heartbeat of the burners are in this regard. Uh, for me, I always had a strange relationship with Bernie Sanders. I, I hate democratic socialism and anything associated with socialism. My family escaped it on both sides. And I, I think a lot of these young kids have no idea what it is they're endorsing. But at the same time, I always kind of had this respect for Bernie Sanders in his consistency. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That like, you know, he, he, he's, he's like the anti sellout. He's been, you can look at videos of him from 40 years ago on that public access TV show, and he literally looks and same, sounds the same exact way as he does pounding the podium now. But I really was disheartened when he endorsed Hillary Clinton. I was really disheartened. Even as a person on the other side, I was like, oh, man, why'd you sell out? But I thought, okay, well, the, the Trump era is such a weird era. People do crazy things. I don't want to call him a sellout yet. But but now endorsing Joe Biden, I I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel bad for the burners. There's, there's people that have dedicated their freaking lives, dude, for eight years to this guy, taking huge cuts in what they could have made in the private sector in order to push a candidate they thought was going to make a big difference. And that candidate just ended up stepping in line with the corporate Democrat boomer establishment that has screwed these young kids from the day they were born, you know, and, and I don't know, but I, 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 I any respect I had Trump, for though? any respect I had for, for Bernie Sanders just got crushed on this one. But what's he supposed to do? Who's he supposed to endorse? I don't get like what is no Bernie one. Sanders? I get Elizabeth Warren. I do believe hasn't actually come out and endorsed anyone. I believe I haven't heard. She hasn't campaigning for anyone. I know that. So I guess you could choose to do nothing. But again, dude, if you want to, if you, you know want to move this forward best? in the party, you kind of have to endorse Joe Biden. Yeah, no, 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 you don't though, because like for example, I, I think Scott Wilk is a phenomenal politician. Okay, I just, I just think he's 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 a phenomenal politician. In the way that he has the ability to explain things and does retail politics. And I called him once to ask him about another person that was running. And I said, so what's the deal with this person? You know, uh, should you vote for him or not? And I remember he said something very interesting. He says, I am going to vote for that guy, but I'm not going to endorse him. Because I can vote for somebody without endorsing him. He doesn't do the work that it takes to run a good campaign. 
And I thought that was very interesting. He said, I'm going to vote for him, but I'm not going to endorse him because he doesn't do X, Y, or Z thing that requires my endorsement. So why can't, why can't Bernie Sanders go out there and say, you know, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden because I want to vote against Donald Trump, but I'm not going to endorse Joe Biden because he fundamentally represents the establishment that is screwing the working class that I have fought for for eight years. I would have an overwhelming amount of respect for Bernie Sanders if he did that. And honestly, I don't think his endorsement changes much of anything. Okay. But the respect for him and his clout would be higher and his ability to actually continue advocating for for good, reasonable, progressive ideas wouldn't be as compromised as it is right now. Because at the end of the day, despite all of his talk, two times Bernie Sanders is sold out. Okay, but also worth noting that on this very same day, there is a very interesting interview published with uh, one of the biggest a uh, Bernie Sanders surrogates, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, colloquially known as AOC in this country. Um, but she had an interview with, with New York Times, very interesting, and they ask her, if they say, um, uh, but I'm asking you, is there something you're looking for? Is there a difference between voting for him, Joe Biden, or campaigning for him? And what are the range of possibilities of your relationship with the Democratic nominee in the next months? And I think what AOC says here echoes a lot of what Bernie Sanders said, to your point of why he would do it. She says, beating Donald Trump is a matter of life or death for our communities. I think it's a difference between making an argument for harm reduction and making the argument for there's actually going to be progress made for us. What I want to do is be able to go out and say this is the plan for us, but it's hard to do that if there's no plan for us. She then goes on to say that I will be supporting the Democratic nominee in November. I would just hope that the nominee supports our communities too. Unreferenced to what if Joe Biden doesn't meet some of the or just doesn't rise up to some of the places she wants to see him rise up. So it's not that it's not like Bernie Sanders is alone out there. We're seeing other high profile progressives saying, well, like, look, if I don't want Donald Trump to win, I guess I'll endorse Joe Biden then. Well, and that's why I don't. But there's love been it. a lot of I'd like to see more, but that's your choice now. Yeah, but there's been a lot of disillusionment. To me, this is only proving my point because there's been a lot of disillusionment on the progressive side with AOC since she's been saying that. But I think the bigger thing is you're just the realism is there's a there's there is a reality of it. You can look at it as the the long term progressive goals for the next decade or so, but you can also look and what seven months there's an election. Joe Biden's <laughs> names in the ballot for Donald Trump. Those are your pick. pick yeah, but pick wouldn't you between those two? And if you if you if, how can you? I just you can't honestly say that they believe that Donald Trump is the most dangerous president, that Donald Trump is a existential threat, and then say, but Joe Biden doesn't exactly promote the right progressive policy, so he's okay. okay it's just but like, I get it, dude. I, I don't see why he wouldn't. I'm just wondering how many progressives fall in line with Bernie, and how many progressives say, as the first, and we saw at the, I think it was Penn State, it was never about him. It was always about the message. And now he's moved on from the message. I, I'm wondering to see where that group goes. Is it Bernie's moved on from the progressive message, so we have to kind of bear that yeah, that a that's banner a now? Or is it, hey, maybe maybe the progressives do need to fall in line a little bit more with the Democratic establishment if we want to get anything done? I mean, this could be a really good moment for Bernie Sanders to show if you guys want to get anything done in the Democratic Party, you have to start extending all of Bernie. You, uh, one, I'll wrap up on this. Interesting thing I thought in the interview with uh, with uh, AOC today uh, about Joe Biden. It's in the interview she mentioned that she has never, ever once spoken with the vice president. Uh, earlier in the interview, they asked if uh, he, if she's reached, if she reached out to the campaign, and she said no, and she was expecting the campaign to reach out to her more or less. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here. I think I, 
I'm not saying it's what Bernie's intentionally doing, but that could be the other end here. Bernie Sanders could be showing to people like, look, if we want representation in the Democratic Party, which we say we do, a lot of progressives are aligning with Democrats. Yeah, we have to. You, I mean, Joe Biden's the presumptive nominee. I mean, it, it's kind of hard to say that we're you're a member of a party when you're fighting the presumptive nominee every step of the way. Yeah. So I'm kind of wondering what we're going to see. Will there be a splinter of the progressives or a kind of, all right, I mean, like, we have to be real with ourselves. We're not going to support Donald Trump. And Well, what do you feel? You kind of have to vote for Joe, for Joe Biden then. I think I I think we'll see a little bit of both. I, I'm curious. Honestly, I'm curious to see the actual split. Because there I, will be some split. A movement ways. requires a champion. Okay, a movement requires a champion. If there were going to be a third party created, there would have to be somebody championing it. That's why I said Andrew Yang was in a very unique position because he was a champion. Enough people were willing to to follow that I think a, a, another movement could be birthed. Now he incorporated his movement under the DNC at the end of the day, but without a champion, how are the progressives ever going to start their own their own party, their own whatever? Like like movements need champions. Okay, and uh, I, I think that in the absence of the ability of progressives to rally behind somebody and like a new party, there will be a default in which they just become the disgruntled far leftists within the DNC who excuse or um, uh, justify uh, supporting the establishment that they have fought against for eight years under the guise of anti-Trumpism for the next four years, at least. Um, I don't. I, Without I, a champion, they can't start their own group. Yeah, so they're thing. gonna. They're, hey, by default, they're not gonna start voting Republican. Okay, for one second, keep this in mind. A AOC was a unknown, and she was sworn into Congress like a year later. Like it, they happen quick. I mean, a person that we don't know about could become the leader of a political movement That's very true. fast. Andrew Yang was basically unknown. He went on Joe Rogan's podcast, change everything. He's, a, I prefer he's to the think leader that of our a small movement now. I prefer so, to think our podcast oh, yeah, did no, it. Cody, yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, because I forgot that I woke up one morning and God just implanted <laughs> in my, my brain the thought of Andrew Yang. No, but. Uh, well, I guess I'll wrap it up, but we'll touch off on one more thing. I want to go back to the AOC interview. I just thought it was really fascinating how today uh, one of the more prominent progressives in the in the in the House did an interview with New York Times talking about Joe Biden and her feeling towards him, and then we see Bernie Sanders endorse Joe Biden later that afternoon. But this was interesting here. Um, the interviewer asked her to kind of expand on what she'd like to see Joe Biden do more. And she says that they, as far as Joe Biden uh, or the establishment, uh, floated this olive branch to the progressives left left of lowering the Medicare age to 60. And it's almost insulting. I think Hillary was looking at policies that lowered it to 50. So we're talking about a progressive concession that is 10 years worse than what the nominee had in 2016. Progressives aren't a monolith like every voting block isn't a monolith. But I also know from a, you know, from a Latino perspective, I think we need a real plan to be a better than what happened during his service with the Obama administration. So Ooh. yes, I do think there's, I think that, that's one thing, I, some people they hate AOC all the time. I definitely think when people get on her for being kind of a flip-flopper and changing, she's a very effective politician is the way I look at it in a certain definition you can define effective how you want. But I think that's interesting what you brought up there, right? That progressives are not a monolith. You can't just say all progressives will do X or all progressives will do Y. And I think we're going to see a little bit of a splinter and a fracture. I think we're going to find out a little bit more, though, how many of these people are Democrats that want to see more progressive policies and how many of these people are just true independent progressives that have temporarily aligned with Democrats. I think both those things are going on right now, and it's one of the reasons why there always seems to be some infighting coming on the left is because there's some people that are just 
regular Democrats. They're going to vote for Joe Biden, no problem. They would just like to see more progressive policies. But then there's people that are true independent progressives. They're not Democrats. They just see that if any party's going to advance my policies right now, it's going to be Democrats. So I'll align with them. Like Bernie Sanders. I mean, Bernie Sanders, I don't know if it is to this day. I'll see if I can pull it up quickly for you guys. But for months, Bernie Sanders had on his Twitter for years that he was the longest serving independent in Congress. Or in Senate. Sorry, in Senate. I mean, that isn't the kind of thing, at least in my opinion, that if I'm a Democrat, yeah, here we go. I think this is still it. U.S. US Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont is the longest serving independent in congressional history. Wow. If I am, Oh, wait, no, no. Yeah, but you've always viewed that as big slap in the face to the DNC. I don't see, but that's what I mean, though. That's my point exactly. What I'm saying is, I think for a long time, Bernie Sanders was that. He was the true independent and just a progressive who was temporarily aligning with Democrats. I think he's realized more and more over time he needs to ally further with Democrats, to the point where he resisted voting. Then he just he, becomes one. But he resisted endorsing Hillary Clinton for, I believe, months. If not many weeks, like five, six weeks, maybe. Oh, two it months. wasn't months. It, it, it was, was like, it was like a political week and a half, which felt like a month. <laughs> no, I think it was like six or seven weeks. He waited. Um, I could be wrong, but I think it was multiple weeks. Point being, he dropped out a couple days ago, and now he's endorsing Joe Biden. It's definitely you can see a shift over the time. Uh, I just wonder how, as far as the followers of Bernie, how that goes as well. Uh, the the brothers of Bernard, so to speak. How what we see in that, and if we're gonna see, as you pointed, are the we gonna brothers of Bernard? Are we gonna see somebody kind of rise up into that stance of where Bernie Sanders was maybe six, five, six years ago, or four or five years ago? It sounds like is the, someone uh, gonna rise up and become that true independent progressive that there really isn't right now. We're there's a lot of democratic progressives, no independent progressives. Are we gonna see maybe a rebuilding of the independent progressive movement? I don't know, but very fascinating. Uh, I think AOC could do it. You know, I mean, the qualifications don't really require reason. She's gonna play. They ball. just require celebrity. No, but she knows. She knows that. She knows that to be a politician. She's gonna play ball and be a. She, she's one of those people who's either gonna flame out or be in Congress for thirty-five years. It's just she seems to know. She seems to know how to uh, read the room, so to speak. Oof. So I feel like she'll be endorsing Joe Biden. I mean, she. I, we just went through an article which said multiple times, "I will be endorsing a Democratic nominee." She mm -hmm. couldn't quite hold her breath long enough to say I'll be endorsing Joe Biden, but she could say I'm holding or hold her nose long enough, but she could say I'm endorsing the nominee, whoever it is, which at this point is obviously Joe Biden. So it goes both ways, man. It, it is interesting. It's kind of a little bit of a, uh, I don't want to say a moral conundrum, but it is kind of that moment for a lot of people where they, a lot of people are going to have to make that decision, right? Like, do I support progressive policies or do I support the Democrats against Donald Trump? Or you could just, a lot of people probably rationalize it even simpler. We had, I think we saw in 2016, there was, there was people voting against Hillary, I mean, there's probably a lot of people that are like, I don't like Joe Biden, but I'm voting against Trump no matter what. So Joe Biden's who I have to vote for to do that. Yeah. I think we're going to see that as well. Yeah. And it's official. The Pope has, we can't say endorsed UBI, but basically no, he's, he's endorsed, endorsed UBI. UBI. Yeah, <laughs> you know did. what I'm saying? Um, you could superimpose upon that your own definition of UBI, and he didn't get into details. But basically, the Pope endorses UBI. And uh, this is on the heels of Jack Dorsey pl pledging 28% of his personal wealth uh, to uh, programs that are going to help aid in uh, the coronavirus pandemic. And a large portion of that will be put indeed towards his own UBI. It almost sounds like a joke, Cody, like, you know, Jack Dorsey and the Pope walk into a bar. I haven't figured out what that joke is yet, but you can leave us the punchline in the comments. Cody, tell us what's going on. All right. So to your point, what we saw yesterday was... Um, and the reason why I wanted to bring this up and why it's significant, Pope supports a lot of different causes. Pope gives a lot of different speeches. But he was giving his Easter address yesterday, which I'm not a Catholic, but I do believe that's one of the bigger addresses he gives during the year for the Pope. Right? Yeah. 
Right. So, I, actually, it's arguably arguably the biggest address. In I heard. Christian it, I heard it's an important day. Um, yeah, anyways, exactly. <laughs> but uh, he, he goes on to, to mention and this is this is a, a quote from the Pope. He actually wrote this down in his uh, address. He said, "This may be the time to consider a universal basic wage, which would acknowledge and dignify the noble essential tasks you carry out. It would ensure and concretely achieve the ideal at once so." human and so Christian of no worker without rights. Uh, in the original text, the Pope uses an expression. Cardin, could you read that? In the original, t- oh, sorry. Uh, el salario universal. Which assume? is, yeah, universal basic income. Oh. Well, universe, it's technically universal salary, but that's also their word for income. Uh, the, the translation is rough, but it's basically a direct translation of universal basic yeah. income without the basic. I, I will say I don't, I don't speak Spanish. I think so. It's good to know El Salario Universal means what I think it means. El Salario. I know I can't. I did. I'm bad at accents. But he goes on just a couple more things. He says I hope in this time of danger will free us from operating an automatic pilot, shake our sleepy consciousness, and allow a humanist and ecological con- conversation conversion that puts an end to the idolatry of money and places human life and idolatry. Dignity. At the center. I know this oh, some, trust me. I know my some, pontificating verbs. I out of this one. Um, but just a little bit that, that was interesting. That was a little bit of what I think that some of the stuff is kind of, you know, it's like the Pope. He's not like the leader of a any kind of country. He can't like give uh, what's what I'm looking for. Um, guidelines on laws and legislative parameters, legislative I believe, is what stuff, you're looking yes. for. But I do think it's something that we're seeing in a lot of countries politically, though, this idea that we do kind of need to shake something up, something I think that's one way of putting it. You could say a lot of countries are seeing feeling this kind of sense of things on like a sense of autopilot or a direction yeah. people do want to shift. So I thought that was interesting. And then mentioning something like a humanist. I think that's a, that's a word I thought was fascinating. The idea of humanists being in more influential positions. But again, big one of the biggest speeches of the year for the Pope, and he uses a decent portion of it to mention how important essentially universal we can argue what universal basic income really means but what he says here is i i think a universal basic wage that acknowledges and dignifies the noble and essential cat tasks we carry out sounds a lot like what the freedom dividends about i think i think you know what that sounds a lot like to me that sounds a lot like um a stay-at-home housewife's value being put at zero in the economy right Ooh, Sounds a lot yeah. to me like that same kind of line of thinking that we need to stop thinking well, and this, things this that is way. Actually so the, interesting from the Pope to see that. Yeah. Well, this is this is actually the reasoning that I feel I connect with most is the moral reasoning. Uh, th- there's great economic arguments that, oh, this is capitalism that starts at a thousand instead of starting at zero. Oh, you know, we measure GDP wrong. I got this and that. Um, but in reality, I feel a lot like Elon Musk. Um, you got to watch that interview where he first talks about universal basic income. And I remember how he tilted his head back and he was just kind of like envisioning a future. And I liked how he said, I, I don't view it as a if we should. It's going to be an inevitability. We will have to. And then we can focus on the deeper, more spiritual um, questions of humanity other than just like, how do we get by to the next day? See, but I got to be honest, you know, some of these rich people, like even... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get on Jack Dorsey for this. I think Jack Dorsey might have more pure intentions, especially because the the majority of this. And again, we'll get into the news of this I guess really quickly. Uh, if you guys haven't heard, just going back roughly a little, like about a week ago now, actually, um, was that Jack Dorsey announced that he's gonna be moving one billion dollars of his stock in Square. Uh, people asked why not Twitter. Money processing makes a lot more money than Twitter, I think. Um, yeah. So Square's <laughs> got a bunch of money. I mean, a billion dollars. Um, mostly to address uh, coronavirus relief. And then after that, he was going to roll, not roll, but continue the fund going to address a couple things. Girls' health and education and UBI. So a couple specific instances, one of them being UBI. I thought that was really interesting. And this article mentioned something I was going to bring up in a second. That Andrew Yang has helped raise the profile. Uh, 
former presidential candidate and tech executive Andrew Yang. They still have to, they cannot mention Andrew Yang without making sure you know he was a tech executive yeah. somewhere. Don't ask him where or when. It just like, shows their uh, obsession something. with Silicon Valley. That's what I mean. It's, it's, it's at the point where it doesn't like bother me they call him that. It's just yeah. funny because it's like not, a su- it technically could work, but it's not really that great of a description anyway. This isn't about that. I just thought that was funny and stood out to me. But so we're seeing that, but there's something else that was interesting. This was published today uh, in the World Economic Forum's blog titled Coronavirus has shown us why we urgently need to make a basic income a reality. That was a little interesting seeing it was right around the same time, you know, a day after the Pope comes out and advocates for universal basic income. We're seeing now the World Economic Forum publishing a paper about this as well. And they mentioned something in here. I think that's the kind of nuts and bolts of it. Something Andrew Yang talks about a lot as well, but you were talking a lot about the kind of moral and ethical reasons for it. This gets into what some of the more practical right now, why we may need it reasons. And I want to skip down to this portion where he mentions that, um, if we're going to compare the way the coronavirus hit the United States to the Spanish flu in 1900 uh, years ago in 1920, uh, he mentions that it resulted in over 40 million deaths globally. But while that there was a recession, it was nothing compared with what is coming now. In 1920, the rising economic superpower, the United States, was able to bounce back because it had inbuilt re- resilience. Private debt was less than 50% of GDP. Corporate debt was insignificant. Finance was not domineering. I think the big thing here is private debt was less than 50% of the GDP. Well, and we had a cash culture. Yeah, debt wasn't even really an option. Now, yeah. By contrast, U.S. private debt was over 150% of the GDP by the time the coronavirus hit a few months ago. Corporate debt at 73% and finance accounted for 350% of the GDP. Uh, moreover, most of the big corporations were locked in a global supply chains in which disruption at any point could be expected to disrupt the whole. This was an incredibly fragile economic system. A little bit frightening how this author is writing in the past tense. Like, did this happen like, th- like but six weeks ago, maybe? Like, uh, may- hopefully we survived through this. Um, but this is the big paragraph to me, is that even a small recession in such circumstances would have spiraling negative effects. This one is not a small one. Many millions of people will be unable to service their debts, resulting in mass homelessness, wow. social illnesses, violence, and worse, while numerous corporations and small businesses will become insolvent. And that's the one thing that, I mean, it might, it's a pretty grim uh, prediction he is making, but I do believe this kind of shakeup we're seeing, I mean, shutdowns of supply lines that kind of have to be open 24-7 almost to maintain things. I mean, it's a little bit weird and you look at those pictures of like pollution going away. I mean, think that's how much we travel just to maintain what we had going on before. But what's fascinating is it does seem more and more like UBI is approaching a near inevitability as as the coronavirus and various pandemics and just various globalization strains continue. It, It appears that you kind of can't have globalization without it because otherwise things like this start arising. You do start seeing mass homelessness. By the way, we're seeing mass homelessness as part of the United States already. I mean, that's already been a problem. You factor in in some more, and yes, it's getting worse. Or And this weird type of homelessness now that's really become a significant chunk of the population population of full-time employed people that don't have enough money for a house or an apartment that are living in their cars. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we're setting up parking lots in Los Angeles for full-time college students, uh, single mothers, so they don't freeze to death at night, you know, and, and have a security guard walking around making somebody doesn't, you know, steal their crap at night or try and assault them uh, so they can sleep in their cars in these modified minivans because that's all they can afford. I mean, th- this is, I do see it as inevitability, but also I, there's part of me that welcomes this, that... The silver lining of of this pandemic might be that we start looking at things differently. We're looking at our supply chain differently. We're looking at upon our dependence upon China and and exposing their dishonesty that that we on I don't even want to say we on the right at least on the economic right have been 
barking about for 20 years. Okay. So, so that's great. Um, and the fact that we're talking about universal uh, basic income uh, seriously is great too. But my only fear is I want to address this. I don't want us to start implementing it, but I want to make sure we do it in a way in which it doesn't result in an economic takeover of a person's life. Do you see what I'm saying? It, it, I, I, there, politicians are so Weasley in their ability to, <laughs> you know, um, well, I feel like if it is universal, basic add power income, to their life, you know, uh, but if it is universal, basic income, it actually is a form of legitimate universal basic income, which is no straight. It's a universal basic income. No strings attached. No, no means. Yeah, but what's keeping Congress from passing a law you, saying that, oh, you know what? You get the universal basic income. Oh, unless we catch you saying hate speech or we'll you're you a criminal. And now, and, and, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, then that would not long. Then it would no longer be a universal basic income. Like then, yeah, like if it isn't actual universal risk going to come, that'd be an issue if they try to pass. Which I'm always, I'm always wary of. I agree. I'm always wary of anything. Like for example, I, I think I closed the article. Let me see if I still have it open. There was recently a lot of talk about Spain implementing a UBI. Spain's implementing UBI, or it's already happening. Spain's implementing UBI. From what I've looked into, some of the more they came out with it, as they even mentioned, no, it's not UBI. It's 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 what they, what it's described as is more as essentially what we would call in America like social welfare. It's to certain groups of people targeted and means tested. It's exactly what UBI is supposed to be the inverse of. Because they mentioned actually, I believe while we're on that subject, I want to go down and um, it's kind of interesting because in this uh, this article we're talking about before is he brings up the issue of means testing and there's actually a really good, I haven't heard this before. Um, when it comes to addressing why UBI shouldn't be means tested or the problems with means testing, but check this out. So the basic income must not be means tested. Targeted schemes directed at the poor are superficially attractive to those who know little about social policy, but there is an adage attributed to Richard Titmus that benefits that are only for the poor are invariably poor benefits. <laughs> and I thought that was a very... But to your point, it needs to make sure that what we're talking about here is not benefits for the poor. It is a, it is a universal floor... Benef benefiting everyone, granted to yeah. everyone, and I think there is something to that. Once, once you you kind of give the anyone, any government branch or anyone this leeway to be like, well, this is some charity thing we're doing for poor people. There is always going to be a different kind of energy and motivation behind it than this is just the thing everyone gets. We have to yeah. make sure everyone gets this. It's a little bit, it's a little bit different. Uh, I almost think that it should be. It's obviously not a constitutional right, but it should say in the bill, shall not be infringed for UBI yeah. as far as <laughs> UBI. anything like that. But getting on to the next part, because I want to highlight. Well, actually, hold on. But before beginning. you do get to the next part, I actually really like that idea of shall not be infringed only because there's this scripture, all right, in the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. the Mormon Church, right? Where it says, the, the Doctrine and Covenant says, the worth of souls is great in the eyes of God. It doesn't say the worth of poor people's souls. Or of rich people's souls, or of means-tested people's souls. It literally just says the worth of souls is great in the eyes of God. So if you're really going to kind of apply any kind of morality like the Pope did to el salario universal, all right, you would have to say that it it is for all. And I know that's going to rub people wrong that the rich are getting it too, but. If our, if our society and our government as a whole is going to say that this is how we want to do things to benefit all our citizens, it will also have to be given to the rich. And you know, like Andrew Yang says, there's going to be boutique programs set up so they find a way to transfer to charity or to their children well, or I, whatever. I think, though, to that point, I what mean, they it, have. it's one of the things that I think is really important too. That I think a lot of times I see a lot of UBI arguments and discussions kind of fall apart around weird. It's not a vacuum solution. It's not just like once UBI is passed, we, we shut down Congress and never pass another bill again. 
you would have yes there were the, I guarantee you incentive programs for tax credit or something would come for people to forego yeah. there you just simply say I do not wish to have this thousand dollars a month given to me instead do X do X yeah. with it let me like pay when you do your taxes yeah let, let it be a tax write off to me or something people would do that but here's what I want to get into kind of tie it back to the beginning so they they have a, a little their height. Citing a study, whew, big word, uh, citing a study here uh, from Gallup and Northeastern University about support for universal basic incomes. Now, you'll see in UK and Canada, extraordinarily high, more than two-thirds in some instances, but US at 43%. Now, this was, if you know, April through June of 2019, I believe, God, what was the first debate state Andrew Yang appeared on? It was right around that period. I mean, this was early on in the Andrew Yang's kind of early ascent as far as making universal basic income a more well-known topic in the United States. Uh-huh. That also, you look at this compared to a Hill poll that they're referencing. I believe this poll was actually done by Harris X and The Hill. About, and they actually have Andrew face on this. Should the government have a UBI program? Uh, it's kind of weird the way they have it listed, but the uh, September, so the more recent data, is actually in blue, and the February data is in yellow on the right-hand side. Don't know why. But you'll notice they found around February a very similar 43%, I would say before Andrew Yang kind of got his teeth into the U.S. public about UBI. Yeah. But they notice if you look by the end of September, and we're getting towards kind of midway through that yeah. really good chunk of 2019 campaign for Andrew Yang, you already saw a six-point increase in favorability for UBI. That's significant, dude. Across, anecdotally, I can say across other studies they've seen, yes, across the board, a just improvement in UBI uh, as far as whether it's been approved as a policy, just general approval rating of the general idea of a UBI, but even in a more specifics I've seen it brought up pretty interesting. And what does that mean now? Well, it means over the last few weeks, going back a month now, but since the coronavirus has really been an issue and since since we've needed to go to the drawing board and say we have to do something different, our current economy is not quite handling this correctly, what is there we could try? Andrew Yang has been thrown back into the forefront for a lot of discussion. We saw him talking to the president back about a month ago, and then more and more we've seen him now being a... You see, and I love this uh, this article. I like this article again from March because this Catherine Clifford. This was actually the this was the author who wrote the article calling Andrew Yang the free cash handout candidate, and then had to change the headline like two hours later because of backlash. Anyway. Um, he is now kind of rightfully so cemented himself in as kind of the face of UBI in the United States. And when it appears that right now we are trying to figure out what can we do? Like, what can we do to get us out of the hole we're in? What happens when a pandemic hits and we have, like you said, over 100% of our GDP tied up in some of these debts that we used to have much less tied up in? What do we do? We have to turn to something new. And we're seeing it time and time again, people going, holy cow, this UBI idea might be just it. From op-eds in the Washington Post, the World Economic Forum, and then again, going back to what we saw just yesterday at the Pope's Easter address. I mean, it isn't very often that you're reading in the America... I, I gotta be honest, guys. This might be the only time I pull up the America Jesuit Review yeah, for one of our videos. Say, we but haven't really used the American Jesuit no, Review before. But that is where we're at as far as like yeah. where this UBI discussion is. And while this maybe, is literally the definition of strange bedfellows. A little. I mean, I got nothing, <laughs> yeah. nothing wrong with the Jesuits. I'm just saying that we've reached a yeah. point now where no, people, the Jesuits are awesome. People, things are good. Things in the economy are definitely not doing great for everyone. The market's doing good. We'll see how long that lasts. But the bigger thing we're seeing here is a lot of people are turning to what is the out? What's What do we do next? Like, yeah. okay, what's the answer to people have bills and are being mandated by the government to not work 
so as they cannot pay the bills. That's yeah. kind of a tough dilemma to be in, right? Yep. I got bills and I had a job. As long as I can work, it's no big deal. But now I can't work, not because I got into a car accident, because the government's literally federally mandating me. They're going to turn the water and power and, and off no if I open the go. doors. Yeah, there's nothing you could do. There's not a state that isn't already declared a gubernatorial state of emergency. There's not a state that doesn't have a no travel order unless you're essential. And there's some states that are that are, are are gnarly where they're threatening to shut off your water, take away next year's business license, or arrest you if you're not wearing a face covering in public. Which, I mean, as a total, like, limited government guy, I'm, I'm totally fine with having protective measures being required. Okay? Like, I'm okay with that. For emergency situations that involved scientifically verified okay, pandemics. Entire separate conversation. But yeah. how do you feel about bureaucrats being given the, uh, the right to tell us what an essential item is and isn't? I've seen anecdotally things like like seeds for gardening, like to grow yeah. plants, being listed as non-essential. No, I've, seen, I, I, I've seen clothing items anecdotally listed as non-essential. So separate, separate yeah, discussion. This needs to get, go away. Happening. This needs to go away really, really quickly. And and to a certain extent. This is war, and we need to look to wartime programs and situations for our comparisons. Not the wet dreams of, of you know, politicians that want power or hate government and, and don't want government to have power. No. We, we need to literally look at a lot of the things we did in World War II, where we said, okay, cool, we need to produce more guns. So what... what tooled factories producing what goods can be shifted to make more guns. And famously, there was 500 Singer Colt 45s made. In fact, they're some of the most sought after uh, collector's items. It, it can be a, a different subject for a different podcast, a different day. But at the end of the day, Singer sewing machines were able to retool their factories in order to produce the Colt 45 that paratroopers and officers needed, right? So our society can handle wars. We can handle pandemics. We can, we can handle the four horsemen of the apocalypse if we actually just have a plan in place that we all agree on. So I really think Congress should consider uh, a, a, a pandemic wartime set of protocols that we all either vote on or that all of our elected officials vote on and not unelected bureaucrats put in place. Sorry, dude. I bristle at the notion of anything this country was capable of 75 years ago were capable of today in the same manner. Probably different capabilities, but I don't no, know. No, the values being the same. I don't think they are. I think they're different. Not worse or better, but I think we've shifted in 75 years to being something different than we were then. I really do. We stray so far from the light of God. Or but what's not, the meme? Not, well, not even that. It's just, that's globalization. As they mentioned, in 1920, we were able to take this... We were able to take the Spanish flu hit okay because we were much more isolated. But maybe that's it part was a of different our problem. world. We live in a different world now. It's just the, the realities of the, like the culture had to shift with the realities of the world we live in. I well, mean, there's countries so that. So maybe globalization. Since, but hold on. I has wanna, created too much interdependence. Okay, but maybe it has. And again, an even better position for maybe we once again find ourselves in a really weird, unique position where UBI. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like more and more and more we're coming across problems that. The coronavirus the UBI has solve. exacerbated. Yeah, coronavirus seems like a. I mean, coronavirus. Not, that's not a solution. Yeah, uh, UBI <laughs> seems like a solution. I, I think it's really interesting. I mean, again, I, I kind of been look. I kind of looked at it. It's, it might seem a little bit kind of like grim to phrase it this way, but I don't know. I kind of feel like in the world we live in today, with the way things are. I think most governments are going to learn that a universal basic income just might be... I think it's going to be governments can either start giving people a universal basic income or they can start dealing with mass homelessness, social illnesses, violence, and worse. I think that that's the yeah. option they're in. I don't think giving people a universal basic income is such a bad option. I think that's a pretty... 
pretty easy out. I mean, all I know in my entire life, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not big in all the different ideas about it. In my entire life, I've never once seen a the United States government, I'll speak specifically the United States government, not be able to conjure up however many trillions to billions they need to pay for something. We've paid for it with other things later, but I yeah. mean, the money up front is generally... Well, we don't just conjure up treasure, we conjure up blood, too. Yeah, but I mean, like... We'll send soldiers we'll over get, to die on somebody we'll else's lost the, cause. Well, there is money for this stuff. The, 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 I just feel like the arguments for why UBI is becoming a necessity are just becoming like, well, there might be, like, riots over homelessness issues if we don't. I feel like yeah. just... The the stakes are getting high enough now, and we've seen it. The, the the Pope to billionaires, people are starting to realize like the stakes are getting really high. We have to do something. And hey, maybe this UBI idea was really important. And then the reason why I wanted to bring all this up is at the end here. That's we talked a lot about kind of Andrew Yang, the legacy of that Yang twenty twenty campaign. I guess him running, what it did, what it meant, where it means for the future. I'm not I'm not going to say that the Pope is out there talking about UBI because Andrew Yang ran for president. But, I mean, I don't think it's, like, I don't think with a straight face people could tell you that UBI's profile has not been raised in America because Andrew Yang ran for president on it, defended it on multiple debate stages, and is now probably a higher, really pro, higher profile public individual now than when he was running for president talking about UBI all over the place. Like, that's definitely something that happened. I think that's, that was why he ran. I don't think Andrew, not, not, not saying this is why he did it in, uh, intentionally. I'm just saying, in hindsight, him running just to boost UBI as... So people know what it is when something like this does happen. As because imagine it, dude, if he didn't run for president and no one really talked about universal basic income, and right now somebody who didn't stake his entire reputation on a presidential campaign for nine months, just some random guy was just saying like, "Hey, UBI, we should do it." It wouldn't ring the same. I don't feel like there'd be the same. There wouldn't be people like us yeah. who I'm like, I'm down. I was sold. I was one over, and you'd be like seven. Yeah, eight we were ago. sold a year ago. I guess, you yeah, guys are all late to this party. But, yeah. but you see what I mean? Like if it there hadn't been a year of him kind of building up his uh, UBI his, is his flock, so to speak. Uh, exactly. But my, that's the thing. Is like, I think that was really. He didn't get elected president, obviously, but cabinet positions, okay, whatever things. No, just getting Americans talking about UBI the way he did that was very. We're seeing now more increasingly more and more and more like holy cow. I mean, if UBI does get passed in the United States in the next few years, again, you have to give a shout. Out. There's been guys like Scott Santos working for years. Other people have been talking about this. I don't, I'm not going to say that Andrew Yang invented the theory. It's just here was the one that ran for president got. I don't know how if you can do Meryl Clueless. He made it to almost every single debate stage and really probably could have hung in there for a few more states if he yeah. wanted to shamelessly like some other candidates did. <laughs> but, I mean, for the most part, like, he basically... He could have shamelessly hung on. Oh, he he could have pulled the Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, Kamala Harris. Well, no, Kirsten, and, uh, they, they, they actually, both, no, they bailed out they, early. They're, they're examples of the inverse. People who realize yeah. early on, ain't worth it. And Elizabeth Warren. And drop Could have pulled an Elizabeth Warren or no, Bernie yeah. Sanders. Yeah, but still, I mean, he really did. He didn't accomplish a whole much as far as, you know, delegates to being elected the nominee for president or the being nominated the president for a Democrat. But, like, holy cow, man, I, I do 100% believe we would not be talking about UBI the way we do today. I don't think there'd be as many people. I don't think it'd be called UBI like it is. I think there'd be. A, I remember I did that once. I referenced it as UBI to someone, and they said, "What is that?" And then yeah. when you say universal basic income, of course, it's kind of one of those things that, like I said, I, I don't speak Spanish, but I kind of understood what he was talking about when I read uh, the the Spanish form of it. Yeah. Um, El salario but universal. It, yes, but I think we're at the point where you can just there's a lot of people can offhand for UBI. People know what that means. And I don't know. It's a it's the biggest brand and messaging win of the 2019 primary. Seriously, hey. he didn't win. He had the biggest brand win of anyone. 
Yeah, he pushed the Overton window. Yeah. He was the one that pushed the Overton window in tw- um, in the 2020 election. Unfortunately, people wanted the opposite, which I think is why Joe Biden won. <laughs> yeah. Um, the uh, Or or they just didn't understand it. Let's be honest. They, hey, they just didn't it. understand it. So, um, and, and I, I think it's a lot more understandable that the general populace didn't understand a kind of simple but simultaneously complex idea of a UBI funded by a, a value-added tax. Therefore, they just kind of rejected it because they couldn't wrap their heads around it. So his victory was pushing the Overton window to a place where people started learning about it and then understanding it. I think that's a lot different than um, a wholesale rejection of the public. Like basically Bernie Sanders has experienced a wholesale rejection. Twice he's run and he's promised a revolution that's been uh, 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 led by young people. And those young people twice didn't show up to vote. And the general population basically rejected his idea. He, he reached the threshold of where he could go with about one third of the people liking what he had to say. And that's not enough to be able to start revolutions, you know. So, well, enough to start them, but not necessarily fundamentally transform How about societies. This? I will say this. Bernie Sanders, not Bernie Sanders, but some people are going to have some explaining to do if UBI gets passed before Medicare for All. People are going to have some explaining to do of why they couldn't get Medicare for All passed before UBI does as far as of why is it a great idea. I'm just saying. Because UBI, I see very little resistance across that. People are kind of like, you know what? Yeah, we might have to do this. But I still yeah. do see pushback and resistance against Medicare for All. So if one thing about brand and messaging wins, I'm just saying that that would be that would be a it'd be a it'd be a cold shower for some people out there pushing yeah. UBI been pushing Medicare for all for ten years and AMGN gets UBI through in like twenty months right yeah that would be that would be something but again that's just uh-huh. that's neither here nor there and at the same time it's just I don't know it's more it's more humorous so here's to think my of question actually for you literally important at the end of the day if we could get the government passing and here's the problem the reason why I think my, the other the other side of me says there's no way something that is as that makes as much sense and cuts down on as much bureaucratic waste as UBI will ever get passed in America. It, it, anything that cuts down on a lot, a lot of bureaucratic waste is just, I don't know, seems untouchable. That, that'll never get passed. You can't, you can't ever do that. You can only add jobs. You can only add federal jobs. You can't take them away. Hmm, interesting. Seems to be the case. That's all I'm saying. Like, UBI, a big part of how we're going to pay for UBI is taking away a lot of these federal jobs that are just kind of shuffling papers around and some of these benefit offices would be closing and replacing with a more direct solution. So yeah, they, that, that, that's from the one thing looking at UBI realistically getting passed through the U S government. I always say, how do you go to the federal government and say, I'm taking, taking jobs away from you, reducing influence. I don't know. Well, Clinton did. I give him credit. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, um, my question for you, Cody is from here on, uh, in light of Pope Francis, advocating for el salario universal is that just what we're going to start calling it instead of universal basic income i think we should you know what i'm saying just say el salario universal i think is a really good idea you know is that gonna be like the new hip thing well i think i i, I just think that's what makes ubi effective because <laughs> ubi transcends all languages is a if ubi is just known for i mean we, it's like that. love the word exists in all languages oh, well, there's some things because what's it called doctors without borders isn't actually called doctors without borders it's just what we call it in english doctores sin fronteras yeah or it's a, the, they use the French word for doctors and they, yeah. But. Actually, I think technically doctors without borders in Spanish is doctors without frontiers because la frontera, see in America, the border is like, 
it's like could be like the border of a table that doesn't quite translate into Spanish. So I actually think it's no, it's similar French. I forgot what the French one, but something yeah, it's like Medicine Sans Frontiers. That's not that's with no pronunciation to it, just the words I'm reading to you. But yeah, same idea. Oh, yeah. Rock on. Doctors without borders. Borders. I'm just, I'm just saying Fronteras. some things do exist branding wise if you just use whatever the direct translation is in every single state. People just know what it means. Like oh, I'll just tell you right now that when we cut the commercial for the humanity. Oh, sorry. When we make the announcement for uh, UBI once it finally gets passed, I want the Pope there, and I want Antonio Banderas to make the announcement of El Salario Universal. You know what I'm saying? I think that'd be totally awesome. Good question. I wonder if, <laughs> I wonder how Antonio Banderas feels about UBI. We'll have to find out. Yeah, we'll have to find. Maybe there's another celebrity endorsement out there. So anyway, um, we got National Treasure. Now we'll get the Mask of Zorro, right? Rock on. It was Antonio Banderas was the Mask of Zorro, right? I'm pretty sure that was him. Anyway, um, let us know what you guys think in the comments below. I'm still waiting for the punchline of the joke, Jack Dorsey and the Pope walk into the bar. Um, I got a hat waiting for the person that actually makes a decent joke. And it can be dad joke punny if it has to be. But somebody that can make a decent joke in the comments section gets one of the last three hats that we have sitting here in the studio follow us on psp one sorry follow us on twitter at psp uh, sorry i totally botched that one <laughs> follow us on twitter psp radio one i apologize on facebook and on instagram this is problem solver politics see you guys in the next video